place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Comics Are you ready to rock? Well, <laughs> well, hello, welcome. You are listening to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 75, covering new comic book day, October 5th. Let me tell you, it's a cold brewed coffee infused cornucopia of comic book cavalcades. That's right. <laughs> it's jammed. It's just stuffed. <laughs> I am your humble host, Chris Latori. Thank you so much for joining in on the nerdness that is Sunspots Comics. That's right, get yourself ready. Please follow us and urge a friend, a loved one, a nerd fellow, a chap, <laughs> to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Sunspots Comics. We very much appreciate that. And also, I'm on Xbox Live. If you'd like to play some sort of weird nerd game, hit me up. My gamer tag is Sunspots Comics, no space. And a couple of thank yous quickly. Nick Papa George for making a fantastic Sunspots Comics theme song. Please follow him at facebook.com slash popdees and his Instagram at pop underscore dees. And thank you to my son, Justin Jables Lattery. Yes, for his fantastic work on our Sunspots Comics blog. Please go put your eyeballs on it at blog.sunspotscomics.com. It's good, I tell you. Not just because he's my son, because it's it's actually pretty, pretty, pretty freaking good. Good job, Jables. So, let's jump right into the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 75, starting with some thingamajigs floating around in my nerd brain. Yes. The first thing I've been thinking about heavily is the PlayStation VR. That's right, virtual reality. The future is finally here. <laughs> it's coming out October 13th, and it's a really big deal in the horror community because there's just a ton of franchise-type stuff like Resident Evil and just a bunch of other indie horror things that are coming. So, very, very cool. I missed the pre-order, so I'm sure folks like me can't get it until January, February, something like that. But uh, I'll wait, right? Let's let them uh, figure out some of the bugs first, and then hop in when like everything's perfect and it's running like a smooth machine. And it's only about mm, $75,000 to get one. <laughs> but I tell you, it's a leap forward in technology. It's exciting. It's like the future is actually here. I bought one of those sort of cheapy Amazon Google Cardboard as just sort of to play around with it and put my phone in there and check it out. And I'm excited just for that, at that level, at the at the cheapy level. I can't wait to put my eyes in a PSVR and see what that's all about, right? Higher resolution, larger internal screen. And it's crazy because I remember testing it when they actually shot lasers into your eyes. Not the PlayStation VR per se, but it was a different brand I won't mention. And I guess maybe people are getting eye cancer, probably. <laughs> so they've gone with just a screen in front of your face, just magnified, which we'll see how long-term effects of that affect people's brains, etc. But that aside, I tell you, it's a leap forward in technology. I like the fact that there's going to be sort of mini uh, VR experience sort of games, like say Batman, for instance, which uh, there'll be 20 bucks. It'll be a shorter version, but it's just mostly focusing on the immersion of the area of the game so i'm really super excited about it psvr can't wait to check it out hope to get one next year maybe <laughs> who knows and uh, next up on my nerd brain is this uh, story called madea may or madia may and it's actually this true story of this one mother's struggles with her family that's trapped inside this really crappy Syrian town of Medea, that's the name of the town, for over a year. She's fighting starvation, unsanitary living conditions, just violent threats, landmines if they step outside. It's crazy. It's a messed up story, but it's one of those moments where I'm like really proud of the comic book just form of art medium, 
where they can actually take something that's pretty sad and depressing and and horrible that's in our world but but shed some light upon it and do it in kind of a beautiful way so of course i'll share the link on instagram facebook and twitter at sunspots comics but it's from abc news that this link comes from it's artist dalibor tayaljik and reporters actually wrote this, so it's it's written from a real-life occurrences, uh, these actual factual things that happened to this family, from Zana O'Neill and Rim Momtaz. And it's just very cool. It's just uh, it's a, it's a, a horrible tale, yes, but it, it sheds some light, and it's done in comic book form. So it's interesting how that, that form of media will affect you in a story like this. So it did definitely resonate with me, and it was deep, and it was heavy, but I'll share that. Very cool, but Maria May. Very cool, and it's free. You can see the comic book for free digitally on abcnews.com. It's like this partnership between Marvel and ABC News. I mean, props there. It's fantastic. But uh, yeah, a little dark, a little heavy story, but very touching, and it definitely resonates with me, and it, I'm hanging on to it for a while. So very cool. Maria, 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 Madea, May, something like that. Anyway, next thing on my uh, nerd brain is the Comics Art Los Angeles. Now, the Kella is a free like public event that's going to be promoting the appreciation of comics, graphic novels, sequential art, and other sort of art-related things. It's uh, very cool. It's free for a little while. It's coming in December, the early part of December. This is the third time it's been around. I've missed it the last two, so I want to definitely check it out. If you live in the Los Angeles area, check out the Think Tank Gallery. It's downtown Los Angeles. That's early December, December 3rd, December 4th. But a very cool showcasing of comic books and comic book related art I've, they show just a smidge of it online at comicartsla.com and it's uh, pretty cool some unique uh, things a lot of people stepping up and showing some interesting type of comic books and uh and art related to that so very very cool you can even email them comicsartla at gmail.com if you have questions about the exhibit but very cool i'm definitely going to go that is early december in the Los Angeles area, if you live out there or not, make a trip. It's worth it. <laughs> and the next thing on my nerd lobes is the passing of a comic book icon, who was really a a just a leader, a someone that dedicated a good portion of his life to the independent comic book publishing world. And his name is Gary Reed. He passed away recently, and I tell you, he was the primary contributor for a comic book that meant a lot to me and had some serious impact to my early development of reading comic books in a series called The Crow, written by James O'Barr. And he passed away, uh, Gary Reed, and he was really just a fighter in the world of, of producing independent comic books. There was a ton of other comics that he actually produced in his publishing company called Caliber Comics. Take a look at it. I mean, his body of work is fantastic. So sad to hear him pass away, but The Crow came out in 1989. I was a junior in high school. I remember grabbing number one, which is it's extremely rare. And I remember meeting uh, Gary in a, in a con way back in the, in the day, and he was super, super nice. It's a brief little meeting. And he signed the Caliber Presents number one, which is the first appearance of The Crow. And he was just in a in a maybe five pages, three, three, four pages, something like that, where the crow was, was shown. But this story by James O'Barr, briefly, if you're not familiar with the crow, is written on James O'Barr's real-life occurrence where his fiance Beverly was killed by a drunk driver. And then he actually enlisted and went to the Marines, I remember, or the Army. And he wrote the story, The Crow, just just trying to deal with his loss of his fiance being killed, young fiance being killed in like the late 70s, I think it was. And he wrote The Crow based on that. And it was dark. I mean, we talk about these rated R comic book movies. That's definitely one of the first. I know uh, also Blade comes to mind. But uh, that movie in 1993 or 4 starring Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee, was also so very, I mean, tortured and, and ironic that Brandon would be killed in this movie. And so sad that you never get to see Brandon Lee as the star that I know he was going to be. But all of that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Gary Reed's just absolute perseverance and making sure that this world saw independent comic books. And there were things like Dead World and Negative Burn. And he even worked with like writers and artists like Brian Michael Bendis. I mean, he's he uh, he was definitely an integral part of Todd McFarlane getting involved with uh, making a toy line for Spawn. Like he was he had his fingers in that. I mean, Gary Reed was definitely someone that was seriously important in the way 
that comics are today and especially in the independent comic book realm so i definitely wanted to shed some some light upon gary and thank you for all of your ambitious dedication to producing and supporting independent comic books you will be missed and uh on to the great beyond my friend so that is uh gary reed sorry to hear that he passed but thank you again and the last thing on my nerd brain is that I'm actually writing a comic book called Zombie Destroyers. Yes, I'm doing the writing and coloring and lettering, and my friend Jordan Hudson, hey there, Jordan, uh, is actually doing his fantastic art, and please check out his Instagram, at Jordan underscore Hudson underscore art. His art is beautiful. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I even have the website, zombiedestroyers.com, where we've posted some sample pages there, pages one through four. So please check out Zombie Destroyers from time to time. And just a little Zombie Destroyer update. We are now, he's inking page 14. So that means we are beyond the halfway point because 24 pages is kind of what we're shooting for. We might get a couple of extra little bonus pages in there. We'll see how it all lays out. And I'm actually uh, doing the finishing touches on the writing of pages uh, 16 to 17. So we're actually going to be seeing the last main character introduced that makes up the zombie destroyer team. So right around that point is when the when we see that happening. So very, very cool. There's a little Zombie Destroyers update for you. And next, I just want to make a quick mention to our segment called Spotlighting. If you or someone that you know is an independent comic book creator, we want to shine some Sunspots loving on you. And please just uh, send me an email, chris at sunspotscomics.com or message me, of course, on Instagram, uh, Twitter, or Facebook at sunspotscomics. But I'm an independent comic book creator myself, and so I want to do my part to actually just sharing their experiences, spreading some light upon them, and helping them get their name out there and talk to them and see their work and uh, do what I can to spread my personal love for the independent comic book creator. So again, hit me up if you'd like to be spotlighted on our, po- on our podcast here, uh, chris at sunspotscomics.com. So very cool. Just doing our little part. Anything we can do, right? So actually, right now, I'm going to jump into a little bit of uh, comic book news. I just have one article, and it's in the realm, in the world, of artificial intelligence. That's right. It's (laughs) Terminator-themed. But it's actually just one kind of (laughs) hilariously strange sort of article that I wanted to spend a little time on. That's what these artificial intelligence articles are to me. I mean, yes, the impending doom of of robot destruction. Who knows? (laughs) But... This particular one is from QZ.com, and there's this bank in Britain that's sort of hated by everyone. There was this recent poll about this particular bank, and uh, the Royal Bank of Scotland, I guess, is the name of it. They plan to unveil this new artificial intelligence system called LUVO by the end of this year. So it's coming very soon, and ultimately it's, uh, it's designed by IBM, by the way. So they put some serious money into this AI service. It's going to attend to customers' banking needs through its, like, little chatbot uh, artificial intelligence robot. And it's even being designed with the ability to sort of understand customers' moods, like being frustrated or unhappy. (laughs) I don't know about you, but the last thing I want, if something is wrong with my bank account, to have to talk to a robot, that's probably going to be 10 times worse than like a Siri or just those automated voice lines for customer service when you need help. Can you imagine just having to stare at an artificial intelligence robot <laughs> when you're when you've bounced checks or something and you can't pay uh, your electricity bill and you've got to speak to a chat box now, some sort of robot? I don't know. I think that's where the artificial intelligence war will happen because someone's going to going to just punch that robot in the face. <laughs> a robot's going to try to protect itself. Step out of the ATM. That's when it happens. The war begins. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I don't know. Who knows? But I think it's just a bad idea. <laughs> but I thought it's hilarious. You're going to go up to the bank. Can't speak to a person, but you can speak to an artificial intelligence robot that's been designed to understand your moods. Mm, input. Cannot comply. Must not be able to help you. Sorry that your electric bill has bounced. <laughs> Punch to the face. Yeah, that's where it's going to happen, folks. <laughs> So anyway, that's my single article on the world of artificial intelligence. Yes. Okay, so let's jump into my favorite part of the Sunspots Comics podcast, which is my comic book reviews, recommendations, where I pick my favorite comic books for New Comic Book Day, October 5th. And of course, spoiler alert. But really, don't worry. 
I've just done a very good job, a painstaking, just detailed process of just making sure that I'm just persuading you to buy these comic books and not spoiling everything, especially the last couple of pages. I just stay away from it. So, and I won't try to give you just every single major plot line, but I'll do my best there to just try to get you up off your seat and walk over to a local comic book shop and buy these comics. So these are going to be my recommendations. And if you want to see everything, the Armada, the Cavalcade, as I mentioned earlier, of comic books that I am reading that are on my favorite pick lists, uh, all of my collections of lists, just go to sunspotscomics.com, click on pull list, you'll see. I just recently updated that I'm reading 121 titles. That's right. 121 <laughs> that I actually purchase and check out the top comic book comic books of the week link of the week link <laughs> to see all the past picks all the way from May of 2015 so I've just updated the site it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's pretty so please check it out sunspotscomics.com and this week the art winner is Phil Hester Phil Hester fantastic beautiful work for his comic Shipwreck that he did the art on by Aftershock, Aftershock Comics. The number one came out, and Phil Hester's art is ridiculous. He loves to play in the sort of contrasty, sort of Jay Lee kind of style. Very dark, very shadowy, but his lines are amazing. The facial features, he does these close-ups to really just give you the emotion that each character is going through, and it's just very dark and twisted. I mean, they're in a diner in part of this, which you would think would be a fairly sort of easy layout, but it has these unique shadowing sort of experience going on, and it is beautiful, and those the eyes is just gorgeous. Phil Hester, fantastic. He also gets the art cover winner. I'm a sucker for blue and black, and that's all over this cover for Shipwreck by Aftershock Comics. Shipwreck number one is, uh, it's just, the cover is just this man sort of half not colored with this orange hand, and then half just blue, white, and black. And it's just contrast, it's just really pops. Is he underwater, is he in the sky, is he outer space? And the water actually, the shadows look like birds. I mean, it's something you just have to keep looking at. And it's outlined by this this eye, this sort of orange eye of the main character that's staring at you. And it really has some, some sort of spooky sort of feel and it's dark and it's beautiful. Just some great, beautiful lines. Thank you, Phil Hester for your amazing arc. You you win it this week. Your art was beautiful. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Also, just a quick special mention, I have to say that if there were a second place, I always pick just one art winner, but if there were a second, the art and cover winner, maybe not the cover, but would definitely go to, uh, and these are, it's crazy because these artists have single names like like Cher or Madonna or something. The, uh, uh, the writer, artist, Matz, M-A-T-Z, and Jeff, just J-E-F, yeah. I mean, he's a rock star that way, right? He's like, dropping the last name, I'm just Jeff, and I'm just Matt's. For this comic called Trigger Man, and it's from Titan Comics, uh, Hard Case Crime, in the family of Hard Case Crime. And uh, Trigger Man, yes, shoots things. <laughs> but this art, I'd say it just got nudged out by Shipwreck because there's some definitely some digital rendering going here, but it is gorgeous. It's that... Uh, that late 20s a Tommy Gun kind of uh, environment, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, if you will, is what comes right to my mind, and it is just beautiful. Some serious, serious painstaking lines here done with the Old West kind of look to the, uh, the sort of gangsters and their pinstripe suits. It's beautiful. Trigger Man would be my second place art winner, but there's no such thing. But anyway, just had to give it a special mention. <laughs> so anyway, this week... I bought 20 comics, 20, that's a big week, and nine of them made it to my favorite pick list, which is, you know, pretty close to that 50% of them being great, which is where I want to live. 50% is always preferred, a lot of really goods, but only nine were great, and that's why they made it to my favorite pick list of the week. And new number ones, man, there was a ton of new number ones this week, there was actually eight. There was Cage, Cannibal, Green Valley, Jessica Jones, Moonshine, Romulus, Shipwreck, Trigger Man, and actually four of those eight made it to my top picks, which is really good. You got 50% of them made it to the picks of the week, so props to new number ones. Exciting, and I'm definitely going to be adding those new number ones to the pull list, so I'll be unveiling very shortly here as to what four made it to my top picks, but very big. new For new number ones, eight, that hasn't happened in a long time. That's a lot of new number ones. 
So here we go. Here are my favorite comic book for the picks of the week for New Comic Book Day, October 5th. So let's jump right into it. Coming in at number nine is Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones is a Marvel comic book written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Michael Gatos. And Michael Gatos's art here is very much like Maleve. Take a look at Maleve, who did Daredevil for a super, super long time. So it has that look and feel. Very realistic, very gritty. Maybe some digital rendering here, but kind of nice. It, it definitely is, is referencing and seems to be melded with the Jessica Jones Netflix TV show. Although the character doesn't really look like her, which is weird. Spider-Woman makes an appearance here, and she actually looks like the actress that was in the Netflix Jessica Jones series. <laughs> so it's weird to see her in there. But this uh, is where Jessica Jones is getting out of jail, and... Jessica Jones, uh, people keep referencing that her child is gone, and they're just, Brian Michael Bendis is just tickling you here with a feather as to why, and I love the sequence where they let her out of jail, and she's waiting for a ride, but she decides to just sort of jump from the prison island, so you quickly get that sort of smack in the face, like Jessica Jones is powerful, and she makes this giant leap, so she can, I think she can fly, but maybe she hasn't for a long time, she's rusty, but she makes this like half mile jump from the island where the prison is in New York and almost makes it. <laughs> and that's it's kind of funny little sequence here as she explains, so close, story of my life. <laughs> so I like that she goes right back into trying, be, trying to be the private investigator and sort of piece her life back together after being in prison for a little while. And as a little sad sequence here of her listening to her voice messages, which is weird. Who has voice messages? Who has landlines anymore? But yeah, it kind of gives that old kind of noir like feel she's a private investigator and this and the art style is very dark and shady and it's just uh it definitely that homage to the the old old movies of old with very all the dark shadowy looks here of her sitting in a private investigator office she just needs like you know a a top hat and and a <laughs> and a pinstripe suit and right and and we've just gone back 50 years but anyway Jessica Jones quickly gets a visit from someone with some sort of cybernetic arm saying, where's the baby? So it's referencing that Jessica Jones had a baby with Luke Cage. Where is the baby? She was in prison. And that's kind of the core of this. Like, where's the baby? What happened to her life? How is she going to piece it back together? And the last little sequence that's very, very interesting is you sort of never get to see an everyday person in the Marvel comic universe reference the multiple universes, if you will. And this person that needs to find or needs to figure out something that's happening with her husband this character here sitting down with Jessica Jones so she's excited that she has a potential new job here uh, is saying that her husband's acting acting very strange and saying that he lived in another I don't want to spoil what he actually says but that he that he ultimately lived in another universe and the wife's trying to figure out is he nuts is that something that's really happening Jessica Jones is, is sort of not trying to tell her that it's real and that it is happening to to dwell upon that she's a powered individual of sorts but so she dances around that and it's very interesting and in what the wife uh, lady is actually talking about that her husband is experiencing is definitely strange and definitely is a peek into a larger part of the marvel universe but i don't want to spoil it so check that out but i'm, I'm very interested to see where this goes and uh, they're sitting in a coffee shop talking and just a, a bunch of sort of avengers and heroes are just going through New York like it's just a normal thing and they hardly react <laughs> so an interesting kind of reaction there I thought but uh, I'm in they definitely are writing Jessica Jones in a way that's similar to the Netflix TV show and I like that because I did enjoy that show so I'm in I like this new arc I want to see where it's going so check out Jessica Jones jump in while it's number one because this just came out on Wednesday so coming in at number eight is Luke Cage that's right the uh, the the baby daddy to Jessica Jones but I just started watching the new TV show. So far, so good. Kind of starting a little slow, but I think I'm liking where, it, where it's going. I sort of miss Cage as just kind of the badass, the, the sort of uh, Shaft kind of character with superpowers. Well, you get that in this Marvel number one Cage. And this is actually done by Gendy Tartakovsky. And you'll, re you'll kind of recognize that name because he's responsible for things like Samurai Jack and Powerpuff Girls, to name a few that I absolutely love. Dexter's Laboratory. And so, uh, you we haven't seen uh, Gendy in a while, so it's it's super nice to see that he's doing the art on this comic, and it's very flashback to the 70s. It's very kind of shaft with superpowers, and I love it. I mean, it's got the large butterfly collars. 
he's got the yellow outfit and it's i mean even the terminology it's just like these bank robbers the bank rollers is the name of them and they're wearing roller skates and they're wearing like disco outfits with like like onesies with white uh, like and stars down the legs and uh, he says just stick it to the man so it just has that 70s feel to it and it's fun and it's just over the top cartoony style that that Gendy's famous for definitely has that samurai jack feel to it i would say more than than his other fantastic beautiful cartooning that he does but the only thing I could say sort of minus about it is I wanted more and it just he does a lot of very large arted panels and very minimal dialogue so it goes by very fast but it's just a ton of fun there's a sequence here where where Cyclops and Wolverine are here and it's definitely a flashback into time into what's happening in their lives so it's a hilarious sequence I don't want to ruin it so you can have a chuckle or two but yeah there's just this super villain sort of team coming after luke cage he doesn't know why so it's definitely a brief little introduction into the world of luke cage but i am all in i managed to even grab these you got to get this cover if you can i'm not into variant covers but this is done by joe casada and right behind me is a giant spider-man poster where joe casada drew this this lovely piece of spider-man and i love joe casada i mean he's now like the president or the publisher, something of that nature. He's a higher upper now, but back in the day when I was young, he was this fantastic artist. He even did Exo Man of War for a little while, which I loved his art. But Joe Casada doesn't do a lot of art anymore, which makes me sad sometimes. But he did this variant cover of Cage Number One. Get that cover. It's just this silhouette in light yellowish orange of Luke Cage, and it's very minimal but very cool looking. It's like seems perfect to be on a black shirt. But check out that alternate cover if you can. But thank you so much, uh, Gendy. I know this has been... We've been waiting for this for a really long time, but it's finally here. But check out Cage Number 1. And it's definitely on my pull. And I hope... I know I'll do it as long as Gendy does it. But I know he takes a long time. And he'll probably do five or six and bounce out. But as long as he's in it, I'm there. And hopefully whoever they... Whoever art, artist they, they sign up for after he has to bounce. Because the man is super busy. I know he's involved Gendy in movies and other animated series coming out along with Samurai Jack, another volume of that coming out, which I can't wait. But anyway, check out Cage by Marvel Comics. Beautiful. And coming in at number seven is Godzilla, Rage Across Time. Number two from IDW Comic Books. And this is written by Chris Mowry and Cahill Schweitzer. Art by Tad Galusha. <laughs> Some crazy names. But this is cool that they take Godzilla and splice him throughout time. And this is... Godzilla and the Greek mythology characters like Zeus and Athena and and all kinds of yeah I mean even the uh, the are the the uh, warlike god and Ares and they're all in here it's just very cool that they're sitting upon Mount Olympus and there is uh, Godzilla's just coming out of the ocean and so, I mean, it's so far-fetched and so out there, but a ton of fun because you even have, uh, you have um, the 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 god of the, the ocean. My God, his name is escaping me, but uh, he's there as well, and he fights Godzilla for a minute. But this ultimately turns into a little smaller story of sort of what happens to Zeus as he falls from Mount Olympus, Olympus, based on this mess that Godzilla creates. <laughs> so I love that. It's it's weird. It's twisted. It's Godzilla fighting the Kraken, right? It's what you want. I'm, I'm really enjoying this Godzilla series. I tell you, I've, I've, I think I've just been, just been fiending for a, a good Godzilla story. I haven't read a good Godzilla comic in a in a really long time, but this just pays off in that way. Even in the way that it starts off in this larger scale with Godzilla fighting all of the all of the gods, but goes into a much smaller scale and scope as to the sort of what happens to Zeus after Olympus crumbles. And I like that. It's kind of a cool little, at the end, sort of a road trip. Zeus's road trip, if you will. <laughs> so check out Godzilla Rage Across Time number two. It is great. Grab the number one. It's fantastic. Number one was like uh, the samurai days of Japan. And uh, the art style on that was fantastic. And that the very old Japanese art style. Gorgeous. But check out Godzilla Rage Across Time. It's worth the money. I tell you. I'm loving it. Now coming in number six is one of the number ones that debuted this week and it's shipwreck number one from aftershock comics and this is written by creator and writing warren ellis that's right the master and art by phil hester again this is the 
Art winner of the week and cover art winner of the week. That's right, shipwreck number one. Check it out. Put your eyes on it. This opening sequence where there is this character, this man that is in the ocean, and he has this sort of radiated left arm, and there's a bird with an eye flying by. And you're like, okay, is it his eye? Like, what's happening? This is definitely a mystery, and Warren Ellis is in this for the long haul, as you can tell, because he's not giving us a ton. But this guy just sort of awakens and starts walking. And the world looks completely like there was a major apocalypse, and he he missed it. And he wakes up after. Yeah, it kind of gives me that, like, hey, it's uh, Rick from The Walking Dead, awaking from a coma and walking around and looking at the world all messed up. And he walks into a diner, and there's a there's a guy there that's like an actuary, just taking notes upon our main character, and you don't know why. I don't know if he really knows this character, but he speaks very in a very cryptic style. It's a little frustrating, but you're like, who is this guy? Is this a dream? And there's some strange, even the, the attention to detail in this art, there's like this mural, like a kind of cheesy diner mural behind them while they're sitting in this diner. And it's gorgeous with like the sun behind it and this weird kind of yellow and green and light blue shading. But it gives this realistic look. And as they're sitting there talking, there are spiders just sort of crawling all over the place. They just, just in this dark shadowy style. This opening sequence is amazing. And he even uses that sort of silhouetting for the back part of the panel of page three. You have to see that by itself. So you see these sort of orange silhouetted spiders that are used as the sort of contrasting backdrop to the actuary and our main character with his messed up brain sitting in a diner. And then he kind of goes like invisible or turns into mist. So is he a vampire? You just don't know. There's just, you'd have no idea. And he's introduced to this character who has seemingly here just murdered someone and is cooking them up. Like, yeah, it's uh, it's gruesome. Even has a, a flashback, a kind of noiry feel there in this diner. And yeah, she has like a butcher's knife and they have a strange exchange. You don't really understand what's happening here. Is he in this fevered dream or is this really happening? But there's a fight sequence with her and some of the coloring here. I mean, from the purples, blues, orange, yellows, greens. It is all over the place in, in as far as the palette of colors. You can look at this over and over again. I mean, the the dialogue is, is extremely minimal, except for the conversation with the actuary. But what is it? it? And they even reference to maybe the shipwreck is not a ship, but more of a, of a NASA space experiment or something. So I have no idea what's happening. You're not supposed to, I think. It's just supposed to introduce and set the tone, and that's what it's doing here. Very interesting. Very strange. I have to see this. It's... It's published independently by Aftershock, so it's going to be a little tricky to find. you got to let your local comic book shop know that you want it so they can order it. But man, beautiful and absolutely hands down the artist winner and art and cover art winner of the week. That is Shipwreck, my number six pick of the week. Gorgeous, gorgeous work. Jump in, add it to your pull list, grab it. Get get in on at the beginning of this because it's going to go somewhere interesting, I think. Now, coming in at number five is from Image Comics, The Walking Dead, number 159. And uh, this is, of course, by Image Comics, written by Robert Kirkman and penciler Charlie Adler. Just lovely to always have this, the same team together since number one. I mean, here we are, number 159. Well, I guess if you count the artists at the beginning that did the first eight. But anyway, this is an interesting little, this is Whisper War that's happening here. It's the part three of six of the Whisper War, so we're right in the middle, and this really kicks up the action. Right off the bat, you get the, of the Whisper Army, the Beta, who is now the only one left uh, as far as the primary leadership goes. So Beta needs to be the Alpha, but he kind of doesn't want to be. And uh, yeah, it's where they, the Whisper War, where they, they take the, the skin of zombies and wear it. To just what a gross and interesting concept, right? Where they stay hidden in this world by wearing the flesh and skin of, of zombies and and sort of walk along with them and they have these strange rules and this this crazy way that they live but it's so interesting and well written way to go robert kirkman and this is just a fight the first like three or four pages are a fight between beta and negan and of course his dialogue is effing good it's effing full of f words and lots of effing running around and effing smacks upside the head and and effing lucille is effing slashing and he's effing whacking and there's blam and there's slash and there's effing i mean it's just <laughs> the way he writes negan i would be laughing through all of it i i, I imagine that even what we're getting 
here from Robert Kirkman is probably only a tip of the iceberg as to truly how messed up the Negan character is and the dialogue that he's that he's designed in his head of Negan. I mean, it's just it's just fun. It's just got to be a dream come true for him and and feel so rewarding. But something happens to Lucille here, folks. If you know, if you're a Lucille fan, yeah, the old bat covered in barbed wire. Something happens to Lucille. Pretty major. But this fight between Negan and Beta is kind of where the heart of it was for me. It was just a major fight. The two of them going toe to toe. I thought, okay, is is Beta gonna really have a chance against Negan? And then as the fight's going a little bit both ways, it just kind of keeps going. And there's a two-page layout in the middle here. Charlie Adler's looking looking solid here with just a zombie horde. And you also find I find myself peeking into whenever they show a a, a sort of pulled back larger kind of epic layout of zombies. I'm kind of trying to figure out if if is it a zombie or is it a is it a whisper war character with skin on his face? Like I'm spending time looking. I think that's part of it. It's like a Where's Waldo of of with the zombie horde <laughs> that I find myself doing and just kind of staring. So I kind of want more of those epic layouts, pulled back shots of zombies, so I can kind of is that is that a whisper? Maybe not. But there's even one of those gigantic uh, two page splashes of 4, 8, 12, 16, 32 individual squares of storytelling here. Not a lot of dialogue, but it really pushes the story long, along. So I like that it's picking up the pace here. And now I'm kind of, uh, we're at maybe one and two. I was like, come on, let's get this going. This is going. This is where it happens, folks, right here. So grab the Whisper War. I'm not going to tell you, the, of course, the, the major <laughs> kind of cliffhanger at the end, but a lot of fun. Negan versus Beta. It's just picking up the storyline. The Whisper War is happening. We're right in the middle. Jump in. It is fantastic. Lovely. That's why it's my number five pick of the week. Walking Dead, number 159. So coming in at number four is the other, another one of those number ones. And uh, that is Trigger Man, number one. This is from Titan Comics in the Hard Case Crime family, which looks like they're going to be doing more uh, comics in that within that realm because it's kind of has a co-published sign of Hard Case Crime on the top left. But it's it is published by Titan Comics, but it's Trigger Man, and this is the uh, written by Walter Hill, but adapted in art by Mats and Jeff. Yes, Madonna and Cher, <laughs> but uh, also translated by Edward Gavin. So I wonder if it's released in a bunch of other languages or something. But anyway, this is Arizona, 1932. This is the prohibition stuffs going on. This is kind of that Chicago gangster feel. This is that uh, this these sort of hitman, hitman trigger man with his his manservant driver. This uh, bald looking, scarred faced character, ton of fun there. And the first like three pages are zero dialogue. It's just this uh, beautiful 30s vehicle that pulls up to this western style town. It feels like it's one of those last ditch efforts to maintain this this western this western town, and it's it's gorgeous. You just love living in this world. It's warm. It's rich. It's got that bartender. That's what do you have? And he's like whiskey. And he's got his pinstripe suit and his top hat or Durban or whatever they're called. That Chicago style look. And the trigger man's on the hunt for somebody. And there's a a piano playing, and I love that. That, uh, that that it shows like actual music notes that's traveling throughout the panels to really give that music is playing kind of feel. Because that's hard to do. Whenever I see a comic that's someone's actually singing and they show lyrics or there's there's music being played or someone is singing, I, I sometimes I don't even read it. it. It usually doesn't have, most of the time, have anything to do with the core of the comic itself or the story. It's just a backdrop and setting the tone. But this actually being musical notes... I used to be able to read music. I don't anymore, but musical notes falling, you know, flying through the air and the actual grid. I just, I'd like that effect. I think that that's, it, it does a better uh, job of relaying the tone of music being in that particular room. And I, I, I applaud that. So more of that, I think. Let's do that. But this like orange brown tone really sets a, your, your, your time traveling into this era and, and, and seats you in there really nicely. And you just want to live in this world. Trigger Man's trying to, Get something out of the uh, bartender. Bartender's not having it. The back and forth dialogue here is just well done. You know, he's looking for a payout before he says anything. And he's looking for someone that's in the bar. And then there is a little, he finds who he's looking for. And I don't want to say what happens. So you can kind of read that aspect of it. And the the sort of singer in the, in the bar decides to sort of tag along 
with Trigger Man, and he's just got that old style where he's not giving her a lot of respect, not giving her the time of day, but that's even more intriguing to her. So that part of the writing is just interesting. It definitely has that time of old feel, and it's definitely not uh, you know, painting the way the female character is in a very modern light in any way, but it's kind of very, feels historic, if you will. That's sort of the way things were. Uh, and this is how he's just kind of a chauvinist and and I, I like there's a flashback here of our trigger man character in jail so and and how he's how he gets out of jail is very interesting I don't want to spoil it but check that out it's just very well written props to to Walter Hill he really sets a great tone and feel and you're in this world and you want to stay there in the 30s and uh, the Tommy guns yeah who doesn't love some Tommy gun action well his victims don't. But anyway, and also that's again my my sort of second place artist winner of the week and cover artist. They did some variable, uh, some variant covers which look beautiful. And uh, I got one that's sort of scratchy in line. So the cover was just, uh, it was by Robert Hack. It's okay. It's, I like his style, but maybe it's the coloring. But the interior art, it does have that, that digital sort of rendering. You can tell on some of it, but it's not overly done. It's just the right balance. Of that digital reference and beautiful handwritten art, but gorgeous. Tech, check out Trigger Man. Add it to your pull list. It's going to be hard to get. Titan Comics. You got to let your lo- local comic book shop know you want to order it because otherwise you're going to walk into a shop and not see this. Definitely. It's a low print production, but it is gorgeous. Find it. Seek it out. Trigger Man. Beautiful stuff. But here we go. Now we're into the top three comic books of the week. So coming in at number three is from Marvel Comics Amazing Spider-Man number 19. And this was so much fun. This was absolutely enjoyable. It was just action-packed from beginning to end. It had that Spider-Man core, that heart that he's trying to do the right thing and it sometimes doesn't go right. This is the cover by by Alex Ross by the way is gorgeous with Spider-Man in full gear standing in front of a tombstone. So you're like, "Okay, who's uh, who's Who's getting nailed? Who's taking a dirt nap here? Not sure, but that's that sets the immediate tone. And it says right on the cover that there's a bonus little Dead No More, the clone conspiracy at the end of this. So you got to go all the way through it. A lot of times when I see those little side stories and they're not sort of within the continuity of the actual comic itself, I sometimes kind of pause and roll my eyes a little bit and I'm like, well, is this going to it's going to be some sort of complete offshoot? But this ties in super nicely. And of course, Amazing Spider-Man is written by Dan Slott, who Dan Slott is doing a fantastic job. I just read somewhere online recently that he's even kind of consulting the new Spider-Man movie. Fantastic. Dan Slott's written Spider-Man for so long, he deserves that seat, that chair. Pay the guy some money. He's got it when it comes to Spider-Man, in my opinion. Pencils by Giuseppe Camincoli. And got to give props to the inks from Cam Smith. Just beautiful, bright, colorful, gorgeous. So you got J. Jonah Jameson in the early sequence here, worried about his father and uh, Mr. Jameson, I'll just call him, <laughs> who is like on his deathbed. What's going to happen? And J. Jonah Jameson has this TV show, which is interesting. He's got kind of a, I don't know, a Bill O'Reilly uh, sort of political uh, talk show, which is insane that J. Jonah Jameson, they've definitely toned him down. He used to just be sort of over the top and obnoxious. And now he's uh, definitely a, a little more of a, a three-dimensional character, J. Jonah Jameson, and his father's, you know, is on his deathbed, and you, and so he, that just sets the tone here. Like you're like, wow, uh, he's worried about his father, and his father is older, and he he's just wants Peter Parker to make the right decision and go ahead and take this new technology, and which is insane, this company called New You that has this cloning procedure or it clones organs or whatnot. But every time that Spider-Man is near someone that's had any work done from New You. His spider sense goes berserk, like level 11. So he wants to save his his uh, his Aunt May's husband, but he just can't put aside that his spider sense is going nuts every time he's near someone with New You work done. So the Jackal is uh, behind all of this. I love that it's there's really no connection right now. It's like two separate comics of the Jackal trying to set himself up to what seemingly looks like take out Peter Parker and his entire family but in a long game of it by creating all these clones and uh, they're trying to they're trying to put a bow on uh, that the cone the, the clones are a little different in regard to that they maintain every single memory of the person that they've cloned 
somehow he's able to recreate perfect the perfect brain tissue and it, it, it is able to have every single memory of the person he's cloning so that's just sort of their twist because i know this is a reference this is an homage this is a sort of part two to the clone spider-man clone saga that happened in the 90s that a lot of people either really hate it or like it or or kind of love it i i stuck through it and i, I enjoyed most of it <laughs> but anyway so that's where the core of this comic is a spider-man trying to convince aunt may and jay jonah like that this new you is maybe wrong but at the same time he gave the okay for like an employee of parker industries to have new you organ replacement so he's trying to tell them yeah this guy had it but uh i don't recommend it for aunt may's husband and then he's actually given a task to pick up this family heirloom across town and of course New York just can't have a regular non-disastrous day. <laughs> and I was frustrated in the sequence where he stops a robber and he he webs up two people and the shop owner comes out and says, hey, one of those was my son. He was chasing after the bad guy. Why? What do you think you're doing? And they have this sort of just, they don't have any, they're not grateful at all for that the robber's caught. They're bent out of shape that he webbed up a kid that was chasing after a robber. Like, get over yourself uh, I don't know I didn't care for that particular sequence and how they're making New York look like they're just completely unreasonable <laughs> and I know it, that definitely has this old Spider-Man homage where the people of New York sometimes just despise Spider-Man and I always got frustrated by that but I guess he writes it in a way that kind of kept it interesting and doesn't make uh, Spider-Man have this perfect world where people in New York still sort of love him or hate him and it's a mixed bag, but uh, anyways, on to get this this heirloom, this this Jameson family heirloom, and of course there's people flying out of scaffoldings, and the, the you know the fire uh, department is having issues with this building and this scaffolding, and he's got to help. And what's going to happen to that family heirloom, which I don't even want to say what it is, that he's carrying, that he's trying to bring back to, to, to Aunt May's husband, like, in case he passes away. And yet, at the same time, he's trying to convince them, don't let him take the organ transplant from New You, because it makes the spider sense go nuts. It is uh, a quite the cliffhanger as to what happens here. And, yeah, it's uh, it's it's emotional. It, it gets you on a certain point. Uh, there's one particular scene in particular where... Peter Parker finds this family heirloom and he's kind of looking at it and says like, uh, not to quote him exactly, but he says something like, man, I would give anything if there was a family heirloom from my father. You know, he references Peter Parker's parents, you know, like dying in a whatever, however they died in whatever version, but, you know, plane crash. And uh, it's just heart touching, heartwarming that he, you know, has that moment where he sort of misses his father because of this family heir Jameson family heirloom that he has so very touching very heartwarming very spider-man like it was just a ton of fun I loved it and thank you Dan Slott you're just doing a fantastic fantastic job and again art too uh, Giuseppe is just just really captures spider-man in a fantastic way it's bright it's colorful it it uh, as far as feel good and 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 happy aspect it has that flash feeling to me very bright and the way it's colored and and the way it's superhero feeling. If you want that superhero feeling, grab the Flash. And grab Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. It's just, it's well done. I'm loving it. And I'm actually excited as to where this clone conspiracy is going. Because at the end, this sequence with the Kingpin, which is very much a reference to how the Kingpin is in the Netflix shows. I sort of love that they're reflecting upon those, those series. Makes sense. Keep it in the MCU. Why not? But the Kingpin is involved. The Rhino is involved. Spider-Man is there. They clone someone that's very close and dear to the Kingpin, related to the TV show and also beyond. But what does the Kingpin do here? You have to see what he does. It's Don't uh, just write it off as to, oh, it's this separate little part. I'm not going to care what it is. The artist changes. Yes, so it's a, a little bit of a, a change, but it's great art. But watch this little mini-series at the end, or mini-single one-off series uh, story called... Uh, King's Ransom. It's very interesting. It's a, it's messed up and very well done. I like it and uh, it's not often, like I said, that it happens where there's these little offshoot side story that's usually not related to a comic that are, for me, that that are, are any good, but this was fantastic. Read it all the way through. Don't stop. Don't think, oh, this is some other side story. It's fantastic. It's well done. Beautiful. Can't say fantastic enough times. <laughs> it's my fantastic pick of the week. But anyway, coming in at number two, uh, from Action Lab Danger Zone, indie publisher, Blood and Dust, number three. And this is the team 
uh, written by, created and written by Mar Michael R. Martin and Adam Orndorff, illustrated by Roy Allen Martinez. Beautiful vampire type art and coloring by Raymond Lee. You got to give color props to him. He loves the color purple. Not the movie, but the, <laughs> the actual color in this comic is primarily purple. When I love purple, it's like my second favorite color. Blue is my favorite color. Purple's my second. Anyway, who cares? Um, <laughs> but this is this vampire family story where there is this almost swamp thing-like character that is trying to rise up out of this Florida swamp. It's set in sort of modern day where there's this old man Logan vampire just trying to hide out and just be left alone by living in, this, uh, in the deep parts of the swamp. And he is, from time to time now, he's lived so long that he actually ends up sort of doing more good deeds. Uh, he, he does have some flashbacks where he's done some horrible, horrible murderous things, but in his, in the twilight of his, not to reference another vampire movie, but in the twilight of his vampire life, which he seems like he wants it to be over or he's looking forward to an end of how long he's lived, but he's uh, found a way to sort of help people and doesn't seem like he necessarily so enjoys it. I mean, how, I love that how would you react emotionally if you've lived as long as a vampire and seen what people go through and and I mean he's very he's very very cynical right but here's old man old man Dracula <laughs> and his family which the young children vampires even though they seem childlike they're they're not kids they're they're much much older which definitely gives that that sort of reference to interview with a vampire and uh, the young girl vampire that had that sort of issue with being older but trapped in a ch in a child's body you you get some of that here which is great and they're trying to fight this swamp entity that is a some sort of demon swamp that's a uh, monster that's trying to suck the blood of vampires he believes that will give him full form and allow him to walk out of the swamp he seems to be totally attached to it but needs vampire blood or other people's blood but he seems to really want vampire blood to empower him and give him the strength to walk out of the swamp, which is, you know, seems like, like I said, very swamp thingish like. But he's this crazy demon with all of his, like, swamp-like uh, vines and tendrils come to life. It's almost like Venom in the swamp, the the character Marvel character Venom in the swamp with all this beautiful green and purple. It's gorgeous, and the child, the ch the children vampires have to make a decision because Grandpa's having some problems fighting this swamp creature if they want to unleash their crazy mother who is bolted down to a room and speaks in a very frightening way and they have sort of no choice but to ask for mama's help and even the dialogue between the children vampire and the crazy mother vampire uh, it's just it's twisted and it's fun and yeah the way she has well, the, the mother um, after they decide to let her go to help grandpa fight the swamp monster she carries with her or even has the chains that were attached to her sort of come to life. It's kind of spawn-like how his chains react and move and flow. I love that. There's a lot happening here. And it's ultimately this super-duper awesome fight with the vampire family and this swamp demon. And it's gorgeous, beautiful purples. The way that fire is done in the darkness of the swamp. It's, it's beautiful. The eyes and the mouth work that he's done here with the way he draws the, the vampires, it's gorgeous. It's fun. And you're rooting for this family. You kind of like how messed up they are and you, you just want them to stay together. There's definitely moments of affection between the children vampire and the grandpa vampire. And so you're rooting for them, even though they're this, uh, this weird vampire family. But I really am enjoying Blood and Dust. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Hats off to Action Lab Danger Zone. It's the only comic I'm reading within that publisher right now. I used to read uh, um, the zombie series that they had, um, Zombie Tramp, but um, this is is a lot of fun. Va you know, vampires, swamp monsters, and a, a vampire family. You can't go wrong. It's just such good stuff. But uh, anyway, close number one, by the way. But the number one pick of the week. This was a, an easy winner. Such a great story. Maybe it's because I miss... I miss Game of Thrones so bad right now and can't wait for that to start, but it is uh, Green Valley, number one, from Image Comics. This is written by Max Landis. I know that he has some, he's done some movies. They don't uh, immediately come to my mind as to what they are, but Max Landis on writing, beautiful art here, Giuseppe Camincoli, and he changes his art style up here a little bit. I would say 
It's a uh, more classic Giuseppe Camincoli. Look his work up. It's it's beautiful. And ink by Cliff Wraithburn, who is just gorgeous. Paints this. There each pick each sort of panel in this is like this beautiful mural of this uh, land, this untouched land, and it's ultimately the story of four knights. And that's the core part of it, honestly. Is these four knights are they're respectful of each other. They they have this history. They know each other for a long time. They have these conversations where they ultimately like respect each other and just the dialogue of them, the four of them sort of sitting on their horses about to fight this giant armada of barbarians where they're outnumbered like a hundred to one. So there's like 400 bar this, this barbarian horde that's coming out them and they're such amazing knights that uh, I don't want to say how it's done because it's so interesting and funny. They are able to send them packing, send these barbarian group uh, to Z Hills. <laughs> and it's just, uh, the, the way it's written is gorgeous. It's beautiful because it's ultimately that these four buddies, it's like these four guys on a road trip. Something about four characters does it for me. Zombie destroyers. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's, there's the archers that attack them. And they are, are these amazing, they're like super knights. They're like just knights of superpowers. I, I, I think they have powers or something. Uh, I'm not sure at this point, but they're just, they're also older. They've been around for so long. They've built this reputation and they have their sort of village that they are the masters of this village. I mean, there is a king there, but the king has the utmost respect for the four knights. And it, it's just, uh, it it's very cool. It's, it's Game of Thrones like it's. It's an awesome sort of knight tale, and the leader, the primary uh, guy in the uh, in this knight group, has fallen in love, and he's kind of he's in the twilight of his life. To say that again, and he's fallen in love, and he wants to maybe stop with the the fighting of barbarians and the warring, and maybe settle down. And yeah, does that happen? Does it all happen so pretty? There's a beautiful sequence in here where they're like having a a date night out by this river and there's the moon lit up and it's just romantic and beautiful and and it has all those aspects of just a an epic sweeping adventure in the in the realm of knights and and there's nothing really supernatural at this point you don't you're not really seeing dragons or or any mystical powers it's just it seems a little on the more realistic side except for that these four knights can fight 400 barbarians but maybe they do have special powers in that regard but yeah, is, uh, is, it's this, uh, the main sort of other character, his sort of best friend, uh, is is explaining here of how sort of sad he'll be as he announces to the king and, 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 the, and the, uh, the gathering, the feast that is happening, that the primary knight, knight one, wants to settle down and, and, and live his life, and as deservedly so, as, it, as he hates to see him go, he, they respect each other in a way that he's like, he deserves that life, he's, he referenced him and all the good deeds they've done for so many years that he, he deserves the absolute best and he should be able to settle down. But uh, yeah, barbarians not having it. So there is uh, the conflict there that are, that comes back and it's the barbarian horde that got their tails whipped by four guys. They're not just uh, letting that be. What happens? It's a major cliffhanger at the end, but it's romantic. It's heartwarming. It's like I said, it's four good friends on a road trip that are these amazing nights. And uh, I read it again. I even had a, an advanced copy of it digitally. And uh, I went and bought it and purchased it. And uh, it, it, I'm glad I did because it's in low production. But if you can find Green Valley, grab it. It does look like it's going to be a mini series, but they haven't officially announced anything. There's a great write up and article in the back, by the way. Read that from the, from the actual uh, writer, from Max. Very interesting little uh, story as to how he came up with this. So very interesting. And it just, it it had it all. Green Valley, check it out. I added it to my pull list. I'm definitely going to be reading more of it. Beautiful art, beautiful writing. It's that four dudes kind of on a road trip and what happens when one of them wants to retire. And there's respect, there's family. It just, uh, it has this great feel to it. So there you go. That's the show. That's it. That's, that's Podcast 75. Thanks for hanging all the way in there. That, that'll do it. And uh, those are my recommendations for New Comic Book Day, October 5th. So please, just step on into a local comic book shop and buy these immediately. Tell them, Chris from Sunspots Comics sent you directly on a mission to buy those comic books. I, I tell you, great week of comics. Beautiful. So, so, like, fast reads. They're all so good. And it was a little bit tough making the top picks because they were all so fantastic. 
But uh, please, if you have questions, comments, or maybe you'd like your own personal comic book recommendation, just email me directly, chris at sunspotscomics.com. And please sign up for our newsletter at sunspotscomics.com slash contact. And tune in next week. I've got some, some about 17 comics I'm going to be reading for October 12th. And there's five new, so potentially 23 if I, my local comic book shop uh, lovingly gives me the five new number ones that I'm hoping to get. That's always a cross your fingers. Hope so. And thank you again for listening. It means uh, so much to me that you're here and, and hopefully having a good time. If you'd like to help our show out just a little, it's very simple. Just go to iTunes, give us a positive review, and hit us with five stars. I will also personally thank you on a future podcast. That's right, right here. So please tune in next week. I'll be seeing you. Thank you again for listening. And of course, be water, my friends. Be water. And thank you very much again. Bye-bye. See ya. Comics now.